0: The songs that we sang today, in some ways, I feel are a sufficient word to us. Uh, It has been good to sing uh, the rich uh, songs that we sang about God as our Creator. Uh, But God has uh, given me a word today as well, and so uh, let's uh, bow and ask God to, to speak to us through it. Our Creator and our Lord, we come to you humbly as your creatures, as those that you have made. We come here today to hear from you. We thank you that you have made us in your image so that we can hear from you and know you. God, I do pray that you would speak to us today. And we ask these things in the name of Christ, the Word. Amen. So we are now beginning a series on the Bible and God's mission. And uh, over this course of these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, that begins with the creation story. And Genesis three very quickly goes to the fall of humanity and the impact that sin has had on creation ever since. And we see, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, in the calling of Abraham, salvation history. In Genesis chapter 12, all the way through the end of the Bible, is really the story of God's salvation history. By calling the people, Israel, by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah, to be our Savior. And then, by filling the church with His Spirit to go into the world to proclaim this good news of Jesus the Messiah. And we await the new creation that God will bring when Christ returns again. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the creation story specifically. And today we're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and some of the other passages of Scripture, Psalm 104 and some others that speak about God's work of creation and his purposes for creation. Next week, we will look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2, 7 through 25, and talk about what it means for us to be created as male and female, and what God's purposes are for marriage. And then the week after that, we're going to kind of combine two sermons in one. We're going to talk about uh, work and the good calling that we have to do good work in the world, and also the calling to rest and to enjoy God's creation. Okay, so, those are the, the next three weeks. Uh, this week, though, we are going to be looking at God's purposes for creation. God's mission is that the whole earth would be filled with His glory, that all of creation would praise and glorify God, that people from every tribe and tongue and nation would give praise to God. And throughout this series, we're going to look at how God chooses His people to be a part of carrying out that mission in different ways. So this morning, we look at the beginning of the story as we look at God's act of creation. Why did God create everything? Why did he set the moon and the stars in place? Why did he make sea creatures and birds and dogs and cats? Why did God make human beings? What was his purpose? Well, I want to begin, actually, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. The book of Colossians, chapter 1, and I would encourage you to grab your Bibles today. We're going to be flipping to a few different passages of Scripture that speak about God's work of creation and His purposes for creation. Colossians, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. Uh, These words in Colossians were likely an early Christian hymn or an early Christian creed that believers would recite in order to understand the work of Christ. And the emphasis of this early creed is how Jesus relates to creation. And in these verses, we get a profoundly God centered view of creation. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. It says, That is He, that is the Son of God, we see in verses 13, He, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. These verses tell us that all of this creation was made by the Son of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how the whole Bible begins. And in the eternal life of God, God has existed forever as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son of God was present and a part of creation from the very beginning. Colossians also tells us that all of creation was not only made by him, but it was made for him. Creation belongs to Jesus and finds its end goals and its end purposes in relation to him. Creation is for Jesus Christ. Colossians also tells us that all of God's creation, all things in heaven and on earth, have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that through the death of Jesus, that all of creation is being redeemed and reconciled to God. Have you ever considered that before? That all of creation, through the blood of Jesus Christ, is being reconciled to God? God has not and will not give up on any part of his creation. He has a purpose for his creation. His mission is that the whole earth would be full of his glory. And through Jesus and his death and resurrection, it will be. The whole earth will be full of his glory. And so this morning in your bulletin, I'm going to follow the outline that I have there fairly closely. I know that some weeks I don't... Follow it all that closely. But this week, you can kind of trust me with what I've put there. Uh, you will see, uh, see me follow this outline pretty closely. First, we'll be looking at about how the Scriptures teach that all of creation, human and non-human, was made to give glory to God. Secondly, we're going to be looking at how God is at work to redeem all of creation, human and non-human alike, so that all creation, creation will forever fulfill this purpose of glorifying God. And third, while all creation is made to give God glory, we are told God made human beings in his own image. And so we have a very unique role in creation to play. A unique way that we are called to give glory and praise to God in a way that no other creature can. And finally... We're very briefly briefly going to look at two views of our world that are very common today. One that is very man-centered and another that is very environment-centered. And in contrast to these views, I want to offer a God-centered view of creation. If we're going to have a biblical view of this world that we live in and understand our role and part to play in it, then we must have a view that recognizes that creation exists, as Colossians says by Christ, and for Christ. All of creation was made to give glory to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we read through Genesis 1, what do we hear over and over again about creation? What does God say over and over again? It is good. It is good. He makes the light in the dark and he says... He makes the sun and the moon, and he says, He makes the fish and the birds, he makes the lions and the platypuses and the ducks, and he says, He makes human beings, and he makes them male and female in his own image. And he looks at everything that he made, and he says, What? It's It's very good. This morning we're going to refer back over and over again to Genesis 1, but we're going to be taking a look at some other passages of Scripture as well. Genesis 1 and 2 are not the only Scriptures that speak about God's work in creation. And as I was studying this past week, it was difficult for me to narrow down uh, what passages to use because there's so many beautiful passages that speak about God's work of creation. But... I chose Psalm 104 as one of them, so please turn with me to Psalm 104, and I'm going to read a large section of this passage. Uh, I love how this psalm, just notice how this psalm talks about how actively God is at work to care for the creatures that He has made. Psalm 104, it's a very long psalm, but I'm going to read uh, the middle part of it, verses 10 through 31. Psalm 104, 10 through 31. The psalmist says, God makes springs to pour water into the ravines, and it flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the rock badgers. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. The man Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord! In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic, to play there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Isn't that beautiful? It is very good, isn't it? This psalm shows that we have a God that is concerned with thirsty donkeys and hungry lions. It shows that God is concerned that the stork has a place to sleep at night. It shows that way up in the mountains, where human beings almost never go, that he made those mountains for wild goats and rock badgers. The sea creatures, the Leviathan, as Psalm 104 says, frolics were plays in the ocean. It is God who provides good food and good drinks for human beings to enjoy. Psalm 104 gives us a vision of a God who takes delight in his creation, who takes delight in providing for the creatures that he has made. Psalm 104 refers to many animals that you and I never see and that we have almost no relation to at all. And yet God chose to make them. There are sea creatures that live in the deep depths of the ocean that no human will ever see, but God sees them. He takes pleasure in them, and he receives glory from them as their creator and as their sustainer. After reflecting on all of these ways that God cares for his creature, the psalmist says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Why did God make it all? So that he would receive glory. So that he would rejoice in it, so that he could enjoy all that he has made. And we see also in Psalm 104 that God continues to be the creator. I think sometimes when we think about God's work of creation, we think of something that God did long ago and set the world into motion and then kind of has let it go from there. But that's not the picture that we get here in Psalm 104. God is still the creator. God did not at one time set the world spinning and then let it go. He continues to be responsible for creation. He is still the worker of the miracle of new life in a woman's womb. He is still the creator of seeds that become plants that become our food. He is still the creator. And he has not stopped being the creator. I want you to think for just a second. I know this is one of these philosophical questions that really perhaps doesn't have a clear answer, but I just want you to think for a second. If God were to all of a sudden turn his back on creation or to take his hand off of creation or to stop being the creator, what do you think would happen to our world? I think that some people might say, well, it might continue on for a little while and then kind of, you know, the human life would kind of descend into some moral chaos. Or maybe after a while that that things would get worse and worse and worse and things would die. I think that what would happen and what Psalm 104 says is that we simply would cease to exist. That God is always and ever creating, and we are completely and always dependent on his creative work for any life at all. God created, and he continues to create because it gives him pleasure to do so, and because his creation gives him glory. It points to a creator. It points to His creativity and to His gracious care. The creation points to His generosity and to His grace. The creation exists to point to Him for His glory. The second point is that God is at work redeeming all of creation. God created all of creation for a purpose. Genesis 1 tells us that God created these things and they were good. Psalm 104 tells us that He created these things for His glory. And we've already read from Colossians 1 this morning that says that through Christ, all things in heaven and on earth are being redeemed through the blood of Jesus. And there is another passage in Romans chapter 8 that speaks even more explicitly about God's end goal and purposes to redeem all of creation from the power of sin and death that presently exists in our world. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. These verses tell us that the creation itself is waiting for human beings to turn to God and to be brought into salvation. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the ones, as we'll talk about in just a moment, who have been given the call to be stewards, to be rulers over the creation that God has made. But because of sin, we have failed at that task. And Romans tells us that all of creation is waiting for human beings to take hold of and to begin to walk in the salvation that we have received so that all of creation can be set free to fulfill its purpose fully, to give glory to God. Let me give you an analogy that might help us understand a little bit better. Uh, Dana, you're really going to like this analogy, okay? If... (laughs) He's ready now. If you've ever been to a symphony, you will know that when you arrive, all of the instrumentalists are there. They're present and in their seats, and they have their instruments in their hand, and they're all tuning their instruments. Each of them are plucking their strings or blowing into their reeds or moving their bows over their strings. And it all sounds a bit chaotic, doesn't it? You ever been to a symphony like that? You walk in and they're all just kind of playing. You can hear the violin if you listen for it, you can hear the cello if you listen for it, you can hear the trumpet if you listen for it, but they aren't functioning together. It's all a bit chaotic. But then the conductor comes in and tap tap tap. And then he begins to conduct. And the music of all those individual sounds come together and begin to be played together. I think this is a picture of what creation is waiting for. All of the birds and the animals and the trees and the flowers of the field do already give praise to God and glory to God. But they are waiting for humanity to take up our rightful place as stewards and rulers over this creation. And when we do, when one day when the sons of God are revealed and we take up our rightful place as co-rulers with Christ on the earth, there is going to be a harmony in this world that we cannot even imagine. Today, And God is at work now redeeming all of creation so that all of this creation will finally fulfill its goal of giving glory to God, the creator, as we live as stewards in this world. We see in Genesis 1 that God tells us that we as human beings are unique in all of creation because we have been made in the image of God. We are a part of creation, and we are called to give God glory and praise. And this is something that doesn't set us apart from the rest of creation. It's something that we share with all of creation. But we are called to give praise and glory to God in a very unique way. Because only one of God's creatures was made in God's image. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Going to look at verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. On the sixth day of creation, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We are made in the image of God. There are many, 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 many things that could be said about what it means to be made in the image of God. This is a rich reality that we could spend weeks on. But there are two things, two things that I want to say about what it means to be made in the image of God. First, being made in the image of God offers us a relationship with God that no other creature enjoys. And second, being made in the image of God gives us a responsibility that no other creature has. Being made in the image of God implies that we enjoy a special relationship with God. And it implies that we have received a unique responsibility before God. Let's begin by talking about the relationship. As humans, we give glory to God in a unique way. We have been given the gift of rationality. We have been given the gift of emotion and of language. And as those who have been made in the image of God, we have been given the great privilege of enjoying a relationship with God in a way that no other creature can, with our rationality and with the emotions of our hearts. In my home, I enjoy my relationship with our dog, Claudia Jean. We play together. We enjoy each other's relationship. But that Enjoyment doesn't even come close to the enjoyment that I share with my three daughters. My daughters are made like me. They have language or are beginning to. They are growing up in their rationality and in their emotions, and so we are able to enjoy a relationship together in a much deeper and richer way than I ever could with CJ. And likewise, when my daughters disobey me, When they don't act like they should, it hurts and frustrates me in a deeper way, in a more significant way, than when CJ does something that she shouldn't. We have been made in the image of God. We've been given the ability to relate to God in a way that no other creature can. It gives God deep pleasure to be in relationship with us as those he has made in his image. And because of that, there are no other creatures in all the world that grieves him like we do when we are disobedient. Our sin, our disobedience, our wandering away grieves his heart. Returning to Colossians 1, Paul tells us that we once were alienated from God because of our sinful behavior, but through the blood of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. Amen. You and I, made in God's image, have wandered away from this relationship with our Maker that we have been invited into. We have squandered this relationship because of our sin and our disobedience. But the Bible tells us that because of His great love for us, Because he made us to give him praise and glory. Because he made us in his image to be in relationship with him in a way that no other creature can be. He sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could be made right with him. So that we could enjoy a real relationship with our minds and with our hearts and with our bodies with our creator. Being made in the image of God means that it is possible for us if we will receive forgiveness from our wandering away to be in a special relationship with God that no other thing in all of earth enjoys. Amen? Being made in the image of God also implies a responsibility. Genesis 1 tells us that we've been made in the image of God and that we are to rule over creation. The idea behind this is that we have been given stewardship over creation. We have been put in charge of something that does not belong to us. A steward is someone who cares for something that does not belong to them. When I think about being a steward, I, I think about the work of a really good gardener. When you walk into someone's yard who is a really good gardener, I think you get a glimpse, a, a small picture of what this responsibility of ruling over creation really means. A good gardener has taken thought and has planned and has brought order and has been a part of creating something that would not exist if it were not for the gardener's work. If it was not for the gardener's work, the ground would be full of weeds, the vegetables wouldn't grow. But because of the gardener's thought and planning and effort, Something exists that didn't exist without the work of the gardener. Human beings are called to take dominion over creation by caring for it well, by tilling soil and planting seeds and pulling weeds and making vegetables grow. And this call to responsibility over creation extends even beyond that to caring for animals and to caring also for our neighbors. And it also extends into all other areas of human life as well, beyond agriculture into business and art and healthcare and education. As human beings, remember, we are the conductors. Tap, tap, tap. We are called to bring things into order. And so we think of a business person who organizes people and machines and coordinates a market for a product. All of this reflects the responsibility to rule over creation and to bring order into it. We think about an artist who who takes a blank canvas and colors and creates something that didn't exist before, brings order and beauty that did not exist before the artist chose to create it. We think about a teacher who goes into a classroom and brings order out of chaos. Right, teachers? Who creates an environment where children are able to listen and to learn. Think of a doctor who who understands how the human body works and then then is able to treat that body and to bring it into its proper order rather than allowing it to stay in disorder. Each of us in our own individual callings in the world are given the responsibility to rule over creation in one way or another, to bring order to it, to create something that wasn't there before. God creates human beings in his image with the desire and the will and the ability to create new things and to bring order. And we have the responsibility to do this as those who are made in his image. Of course, if we think back through our examples that we gave earlier, we know that every day human beings take this responsibility and they squander it or they abuse it. We know that a business owner can create a business that does not honor God, that abuses his employees or harms creation. We know that there are artists who can create things that do not glorify God, but that celebrate evil. We know that some teachers encourage the chaos and teach things to our students that dishonor God. We know that there are doctors that profit from killing human life rather than healing it. Being made in the image of God gives us great power over, our, over creation, and it is our responsibility to use those abilities to bring glory to God and that facilitate the flourishing of creation. And so I want to finish today by, by giving an account of a God-centered view of creation. In the scriptures today, we have seen that God created everything to give him glory and praise. And we've seen that God is now at work redeeming all things to fulfill that purpose. And now in our various callings in life, our roles that we play in life, we are in some way, in some small way, fulfilling that purpose of seeing all things glorify God. But there are two very common views of creation in our world today that I think keep us from living out this God-centered view of creation. One of those views is centered on the environment, and the other is centered on man. And I want to name them and highlight some of the the thoughts behind these two views. The first view that is common, and perhaps increasingly common, is commonly known as environmentalism. And this is, of course, the environment-centered view of the world. This view often makes an idol of the created world and demands that all human life and activity bow down and submit to what is best for the environment. And that best for the environment is usually defined by those who call themselves environmentalists. I'm speaking very broadly here, I'm painting with a broad brush, but many environmentalists assume that the world would really be better off without human beings. They see human life as alien to this pristine nature and that our activity in the world necessarily and always does damage to the world. And so we need to limit, in every way that we can, our human imprint on the world. There's much talk about running out of resources, running out of food, destruction of species and ecosystems, and lots of threatening and fearful talk about global warming or climate change or whatever that might be. This is often a profoundly environment-centered view of our world. God is rarely even in the picture. A God-centered view of creation in response to environmentalism reminds us that we do not live in an environment at all. We live in a created world, a good world that God made and that God loves, and that this environment is not an end in and of itself But it is a created world made by God who receives pleasure from it and receives glory from it. Environmentalism often assumes that the world is a world of scarcity rather than a world of abundance. It assumes that we humans are somehow alien to it. And rather than creatures who have a good and important role to play in the world. I want to suggest to you that... Our world desperately needs more Christian voices in the conversation about the care for creation. We have been far too slow in entering into this conversation, and we have too often simply been on the sidelines as naysayers about concerns for damage that is being done in creation, rather than a prophetic voice reminding people that God created a good world, that we serve a good giver, and that he has given us the responsibility to care for it well, not as an end in and of itself, but as a way to glorify God. The second view is a profoundly man-centered view, and this view is perhaps more common among those in the evangelical church. And that view is that the only important part of God's creation is human beings. And that creation is meaningless, or at best, creation is only useful to us as human beings. And so we can and should use it in whatever way we want to. Our scriptures, as we have seen today, tell us about a God who created a good world and has plans and purposes for that good world We serve a God who is concerned about his creation, concerned about rock badgers and wild goats and storks in the trees. God has created these creatures because they give him glory and it takes him great pleasure to do so. And so as Christians, we cannot view the creation as meaningless or only given to us for our practical use. We must view creation as something that God made for him that we've been given the responsibility to steward over it. We must care for it well. And so when species are going extinct because of our clear-cutting of rainforests, we must care, and we must pray against it, and if called, to work against it. Not because we are dependent on those species at all, but because God enjoys them, and they made them for His glory. When our rivers and our streams are polluted because of unethical business practices, we have to care. Certainly because it does damage to human life, but also because it does damage to the creation that God made and that God loves. A God-centered view of creation recognizes that all life, human life and non-human life, were created not only for our human use of it, but were created by God and created for God. And so when irreparable damage is done to creation by human activity, we are not being the good stewards that God calls us to be. And in our poor stewardship, the creation is groaning in frustration. It is waiting for us to be the stewards that God has called us to be. A God-centered view of creation recognizes that we have been given a great gift in this beautiful and wonderful world and that we must care for it well, not only for us, but for God. God's mission is that the whole earth would be full of his glory. To close by reading Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the sky. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying, Birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn of salvation, the praise of all his saints, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord.